Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 103. For Royal Caribbean fans, one of the most exciting moments of your cruise vacation is when you pull up to the PR on embarkation day and start the cruise vacation that you may have been counting down to for even years. This week, let's discuss what to expect from curbside at the pier to that magical moment when you step on board your Royal Caribbean cruise and everything in between. Here we go. I think I've said on this podcast just how much I really love Embarkation Day because it is precisely when your cruise vacation begins. No more planning, no more watching other people's YouTube videos, no more wishing you were on a cruise because this is the day where it all begins. And a big part of the Embarkation Day is what you do from when you get to the port until you step on board your Royal Caribbean ship. And quite frankly, there's a lot of things that you need to know about that'll be happening that day. So I wanted to go through the different things that you'll have to go through to help you be better prepared for the embarkation process, which hopefully will mean a speedier and simpler process for you. And if we're talking about getting on a cruise ship, it seems no one takes more cruises than Royal Caribbean contributing writer Michael Poole. Welcome back to the podcast, Michael. Hi, Matt. Hi, podcast listeners. It's uh, I'm glad to be back, and I look forward to sharing this topic with everybody. I know it's asked all the time, what is day one like? Yeah, and Michael, full credit, Michael came up with this topic. I thought it's a great idea because I think there there is a lot that goes into it. And if you're new to cruising or even just if you're new to Royal Caribbean, it's – I don't want to say it's daunting, but there's a lot of things that you probably don't think about that are going to go into this day. No, there's not. And you know, I've completed 23 cruises now, and honestly, there are de- times where it can be overwhelming to me still to this day. So it's good to kind of talk about what all happens throughout the whole process. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about from curb to ship. And uh, let's start, Michael, with let's go through the process of peer to ship, starting with actually arriving at the port. And this is a question we get. I'm sure you get all the time as well. What time do you get to the pier for your cruise? Oh, boy. Um, It it can range anywhere between, I would say, 1030 to noon. Of course, Royal Caribbean likes to send you text messages and email the week that you sail that says you need to arrive at this time based on the deck that you're on. Just don't listen to that. Get to the pier between 1030 and noon. Would you say that's about the time you normally get there, Matt? Yeah, I was going to say it actually hurts my soul if I'm not there by about 11 at the latest. I mean, then I would start crying, I think. Um, I'm, I am like, you know, we'll say like, I think we usually start off like, yeah, we'll get there at 1030. And then it's like, well, let's get there at nine because you know, you're up, you're excited, you just want to get there. But I think you're right. Yep. It's a good tip, though. If you do get those emails or, or whatever text messages from Royal Caribbean about boarding times, you're right. They try to, What they're trying to do is stagger the people and they try to tell you, oh, I come in at two o'clock. But the reality is you don't have to. These are suggestions. You could if you wanted to, of course. And uh, even on even on cruises, when we went on Jewel this season, Michael, which had an 8 o'clock departure, you know we were at the port, at, I think, about 9.30 in the morning because why oh, not? Wow. I mean, the, the reason why, I th- and I'm hoping this is coming across, the reason why Michael and I like to get there so early is because that way we start our vacation earlier. I mean, you all pay the same – well, we don't all pay the same price, but we all pay the price we pay for the cruise and – it doesn't matter when you get there. If you get there at 11 a.m. or 2 p.m. or 4 p.m., I can't even fathom that in my mind, uh, getting there at those times, it's the same price. So why not start your vacation sooner? Why not be able to get on board and get a, a lunch that's included in your price rather than have to get lunch you know, somewhere off ship and pay for it? Um, there's, there's that, those are the primary reasons. And, of course, I'm super excited because it's finally here. Like, you know, it's that day of like, I can't, I know when I wake up that morning, Michael, I don't know about you. It's like, I have this disbelief. I'm like, I can't believe it's actually here. Yeah. You wait for it. You wait for it. It's finally here. And, and I'm okay with standing in line for an hour. If that means I'm one of the first on board, 
Um, I, I, I'm okay with that because I'm at the pier, I'm at the terminal, and you know I'm excited. You're excited. Everybody's excited to get on the cruise ship. Absolutely. I think probably well, let's talk about maybe what's the busiest time uh, for at the pier, and I'm I'm thinking it's got to be around noon, right? Noon to maybe two o'clock. I would absolutely agree, especially on, I would say, the Enchantment Sailing. I've been there at 11 o'clock, and I swear I'm the only person there. I'm like, where is everybody? Um, so sometimes on the shorter sailings, you see people get on a little later, whereas on longer sailings, you, there tend to be a little more in the morning. Yeah, I think a lot. I think most people show up right around that lunchtime hour because, think about it, people that are driving are probably rolling in around that time. People who have flights, they probably landed around 9, 10 o'clock or even 11 o'clock, so the time it takes to get from the airport to the pier, you know, wherever you happen to be sailing, it, that's, it makes the most amount of sense because you have to be on board by a certain time, depending on when your ship is leaving. And so that's like prime time. And of course, if you get there earlier, you get to avoid those lines, be first on. And, and, and to me, that's a, that's a big advantage to getting there early. I would agree. And we can kind of maybe move on to when you arrive to the pier, I was thinking, you know, you're greeted by the porters and oh, you know, hang the, on a well, hang okay. on one second before we can get there. It, you're, I like where you're going with this, but where are you going to park the car? Oh, yes, that's true. Because so many yeah, options. There are a lot of options, and this obviously depends on which port you're talking about. I mean, Port Canaveral, Barcelona, um, you know, uh, Galveston. It, there's a lot of options to choose from. But assuming that you have a car that you're uh, driving, your own car, like not a rental car that you're just returning, there are parking options to consider. And I think a lot of times. We, I always, I think almost always when it's when I'm driving down, I just park the car in Royal Caribbean's lot, and the reason is I want to get on the ship, <laughs> and I and I I know I can save money offsite. There's usually in many ports there's offsite parking available, which will be usually uh, inex- more inexpensive or less 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 expensive than what Royal Caribbean charges for the parking at the pier, or at least the port charges. Probably not even Royal Caribbean, but to me, I just. I'm willing to eat that up. I remember the. I think I've told the story before. We were on. We we're going on Freedom of the Seas. I think a couple of years ago, and this is Port Canaveral. So we're driving in. We have our own car. You know, we get there super early. We're like, hey, this is great. So my plan was I was going to go drop off the family at the pier, which is a good idea, by the way, if you do are renting a car and parking offsite or or returning a car, or whatever. Drop, I dropped my family in the luggage off. Then I took the car over an empty car, just me, to the rent to the parking, the offsite parking. And I, I, I pull into the lot, and there is just this massive line of people waiting to board the shuttle. And I said, nope, turned it around, <laughs> went back to the pier and parked in the lot. Paid, paid more, no question about it. But in this case, I just was like, I'm not waiting 30 minutes for a shuttle. I need to get on board. I can't. I'm having the shakes here. <laughs> I agree with you. The convenience is a huge factor, parking right there. And especially when you get off the cruise ship, you're tired, yes. you're exhausted. You just roll right into your car. That's a great point about getting off the ship because, you know, everyone's excited. You got all the energy. When you get off the ship, you're tired. You've probably been up since like 6 a.m. at the latest, and you just want to get home. You just want to get going. You don't want to be sitting for another shuttle, and I agree. I think that's uh, – now, of course, if there's a off-site parking that you can walk to or something from the pier, maybe there's a port that has that. Hey, that's a different option, but at least in my experience, I'm always parking at the, at the pier parking because just out of convenience, I'm willing to pay more. But you should be aware that there are off-site parking options. All you have to do is just Google – the port name and parking, and then you'll find a ton. Like Pork and Arrow has a bazillion companies that will do it for you. So just something to keep in mind. But let's go to what you mentioned, Michael, which was the porters. 
Yeah, so once you finally get to the pier, you have all your bags sitting there curbside, you're going to be greeted by porters that are going to take your bags. Now, it's important that you have your, your, your cabin tag, your luggage tag that has your cabin number on it. But you're going to be you know, greeted by these gentlemen. They're going to take your bags from you. And then they are going to expect some sort of gratuity in return for you know, carrying your bags on board. I don't know about you, Matt, but I generally use a $1 to $2 per bag. Is that pretty standard what you do as well? Well, you know, Michael, I'm quite the baller, so I'd make it rain for the uh, porters. <laughs> no, I, it's one. That's exactly the figure I was thinking in my head when you were talking about one to two dollars per bag. It depends on if the guy is, you know, really nice. Also, you're right. You should have the tags that you printed out earlier and attached to your to your luggage. But if you don't, don't feel bad. Don't freak out. This is one of the things the porters are actually very good about. I've had situations where, you know, maybe we forgot one particular tag or whatever the case may be. We need an extra tag. They have the on the spot. They can just whip them out of their pockets. Essentially, they're these temporary tags. They'll just write down the stateroom number, and they can handle that for you. So if you forget to print them out or you left them at home, whatever the case may be, you should be aware that that is an option. Although I would agree with you, Michael, that you should probably be as prepared as you can, have it all ready to go. That way, you're just not wasting any more time on there. That's true. And now that I think of, there's been numerous times where I didn't have mine on for the short sailings, and they're very willing to put that luggage tag on there for you. Yep. And a couple other things. Uh, number one, when you're checking your luggage, keep in mind, there's a very good chance you may not see that luggage again until way later that evening. Like we're talking at the earliest afternoon, but you should expect not you should expect not to get it until maybe eight, nine o'clock, even later that evening, depending on how the distribution of luggage is delivered. So if you need something important like clothes, <laughs> medicine, uh, you know, whatever the case may be, make sure whatever you absolutely positively cannot live without until Figure the end of that that evening. You should carry on with you, uh, but everything else you can you know feel free to use the porters for that, and it's a huge advantage because everything else you got to carry with you throughout the day until you, at least until your stateroom is ready. So it's kind of an important decision to make as to what you're going to carry with you and what you're going to check essentially. Right, and I you know I kind of thought that would never happen to me, but it actually finally happened to me uh, last November on the Liberty. I didn't receive my bags till about eight o'clock. Not a big deal, but I did go to dinner in my same attire that I was wearing all day. So it is what it is. You just make the best with it and keep rolling. Yeah, I think actually now that you mentioned it, I think when I was on Quantum of the Seas earlier this year, I had a similar situation. I think one of the bags showed up like right on time, or I was waiting for one bag and it didn't come until like. Eight or nine o'clock that evening. It's been very. Usually, I have pretty good luck. Usually, about like, geez, before mustard drill, it's it, they're all there. So right, I think I think that's more the norm. But you know, you never know. And the other thing is now that we're also talking about this, something else that came to mind. Speaking of quantum of the seas, I don't know if you've had a chance yet, Michael. But with at least with quantum, they had. And I'm sure Anthem of the Seas will be the uh, same when when it arrives in New York. Is they have the RFID tags for the luggage, which is kind of cool and something a little different. That you can do basically the way it works, same as we talked before. You give the, the porters your bags, they give you a receipt, kind of like when you go to the airport and you check luggage and they give you that like that baggage claim. And what you get is basically is a, is a barcode with a number on the bottom, and you can plug that number into your smartphone because you can use the Royal IQ app and you can track your luggage. Now, I say you can track your luggage because I've never actually done it because I always forget to do it. And then by the time I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I can do that. And by the time I do it, it's like the bag's already there. I'm like, ah. Oh. I missed the opportunity to, to try it out. But if you are sailing on a ship, and I think as, as if you're listening to this in the future from hello 2018, uh, you know, there's more <laughs> cruise ships that, that support RFID luggage tracking. This will be an option I think we can expect to see in the near future. Yeah, hopefully they bring that to the Harmony when they release it. So I hope so. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we got porters out of the way, so your luggage is gone. Next, you're going through security. Oh, that's right. So uh, a lot of people, you know, you can carry on two bottles of wine through security, so make sure you don't have those in your checked luggage. It's two bottles per stateroom. Um, So make sure you have that into your carry-on, and security knows the policy. Uh, The lines typically move pretty fast, but, you know, you're going to do your typical, just like an airport security check-in, put all your bags on the belt they go through. Um, Pretty standard process. Yep, but make sure also at this point you need to have your set sail pass and your passports out and ready to show. So, you know, you probably may even have had to show it when even getting into the port. Some, Some ports do that. I know that Port Canaveral does that. Other ports I've been to, they don't check. But anyway, you're going to need it at this point to prove that you are sailing and you can make it beyond that point. So have your set sail pass out and your passport so that way you're ready to go. And you're right, just go through the x-ray machines. It's pretty simple. It's not nearly as involved as the airport in the sense that, you know, you have to take off your shoes and belts and all that. Most of the time, it's like, whatever, just keep going through it. And, uh, you know, it's pretty quick. I agree. Yes. uh, No taking off shoes or belts. But once you get through security, that's kind of when it hits me. I'm like, oh, I'm here. You see all the lines (laughs) and the madness. And that's I feel like this is the first moment that someone can get a little overwhelmed because it's like, where do I go? Yeah. So at this point, this is an interesting point here, because now you've you've made it through the basics. Now you're into the real Royal Caribbean side of things, because up till now, you're basically dealing with, you know, local parking security and and whatnot, peer people Uh, here. And though you're going to do the check in and. When you check in, even then, there's a decision to make because it, you have to decide which line you're going to go in. And this depends. The line you go in depends on your crown and anchor level. And usually there are different lines for, I want to say, at least platinum and above. Is that your experience as well, Michael? Yes, that's correct. Platinum and above. Um, I believe it's platinum and emerald and then diamond, diamond plus, and then pinnacle. Yes. Right. And yeah, then they get a special line. line. Yes. That's right. So you go in the suites, right? They get the, So you could be like first-time cruiser, but you're staying in a suite. You go right to that special line. Usually these lines have a much shorter wait to them. I remember we were in San Juan in Puerto Rico, and we got there, and there was a huge line. And it was like, oh, boy. But then we get to the point where they have this split, and no one was in. We were platinum. No one was in that line, and we were able to breeze right in. It was great. And the other neat little trick is we were traveling with other people that were not platinum. They were actually brand new to Royal Caribbean. So when we went there, they were able to come with us, even though we were, uh, even though they weren't, but because we were traveling together, we were able to bring them in. So keep that in mind. If you all you need to have the person in front show it and then be like, oh, yeah, they're all with me. And and that's usually uh, a pretty good thing. And then another, I, have, I have nothing but stories about checking in. Uh, but I have another <laughs> story about our honeymoon cruise, Mariner of the Seas. I think I was, this was like my second Royal Caribbean cruise. Anyway, so we had no status and we're on the shit. We're get we're checking in and we get to this point again, you have to, and we were going to go to the, I don't want to call it the sucker line, but the, the long line for everyone else. And my wife was wearing like a just married t-shirt that she had gotten, which I'm sure I made fun of for being, you know, uh, over the top, but that over the top shirt got us into the special line. Cause the lady who was controlling it was like, Oh, you guys just got married. Congratulations here. Coming to this line. And, Bam, we were we, we felt like hot stuff going in that line, so it was, it was off to a good start. I know what t-shirt I'm wearing next cruise, Matt. <laughs> Just got married. <laughs> no, but I'm glad you brought up the point where you can bring other people with you based on your status. Um, I cruised last month with nine people, and I was the only Diamond member, and I did the exact same thing you did. I was in the front. We're all together, group traveling together. Didn't have any problem at all. All right. So you get to the desk, Michael. What are they going to be asking for? What do you have to do? 
okay. So this can be a little, because there's a lot going on. You're kind of in a tight spot, but they're going to ask for your set to sale pass, just page one with the barcode on it. They always tear page two off and hand it back to you. Um, they're going to ask for your photo ID, whether it be a driver's license, passport. If you use a photo ID, they're going to also ask for your birth certificate. So if, um, if you use your passport, that works just fine. Um, and then your credit card on file for any onboard charges. Uh, they'll swipe that along with each person has to fill out a survey um, about your health to prevent any norovirus outspread. I think that yeah, covers actually, when, it all. Yeah, and, and funny, you're right about the health questionnaire. I remember when I was selling on Quantum, they actually asked us about Ebola because back then, if you can remember back oh. to – Yes. March, they were that was that was a big deal. So yeah, they do have different uh, health. I think I think you pretty much nailed it though, Michael. That's pretty much the extent of it. The one thing though about the credit card, so you do have to put a credit card down. Although again, you don't have to worry necessarily about having anything charged there. Like a lot of people bring cash and they want to use that and have nothing hit their credit card. It's just basically a guarantee. That's all the credit card is. So you don't have to worry that you're necessarily going to have anything charged. It's just a security hold. And the other thing is also if you're traveling with family, maybe. You know, you're going and your uh, kids are going on. I say you, not you, Michael, but the the global you. Uh, and and they're going there, and you know, you have two different staterooms, but you want to have the same credit card on both. You can have that set up there as well, so that way, you know, obviously your kids who probably don't have credit cards, although they might, maybe they're ballers like me as well, and they uh, and they, you know, they can you can have the credit card set up for both or more cabins, and that way, you all have it come down to uh, one particular. Uh, billing cycle, so that can uh, make that a lot easier. And then you get your CPAS cards. Correct. So once she hands you your CPAS card, generally they'll actually take your photo right there at the desk. So um, each person will have their photo taken with their CPAS card. Um, they'll hand you your CPAS card, generally a cruise compass, kind of give you an overview. Um, and since we're the one of the first people to check in, now we kind of move into the next phase. Where do you go now? Yes, the waiting. The I was gonna say the waiting to board. But what's the? Uh, it's not pur- purgatory. Right? You just go into the. Uh, it's you and unbaptized babies waiting to board. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You are packed in there like sardines. No, no. Depending on your crown and anchor status, there's going to be different areas for you to sit down. Um, the suite area is obviously going to be the nicest. It has umbrellas, cushioned chairs, uh, very beachy themed. At least that is how it is in Fort Lauderdale uh, and you know uh, Port Canaveral, the brand new terminal there. Um, and then they're also going to be one of the first aboard. Yeah, most of them, I'm trying to think, in, in Cape Liberty in New Jersey, there was just two segregated areas, one for suites and, and the diamond levels, and then just a general herding area for everybody else. But in Fort Lauderdale, I do remember they when we were on Oasis of the Seas, we had specific like, zones, like, okay, Michael, you're checked in, you're in zone four, and then they call zone four to go board uh, when that occurs. In Port Canaveral... I'm try- although I haven't been in Terminal 1. I've only been in the old Terminal now. Uh, I don't recall. Of course, I think I've been lucky in a lot of cases where they're just like, go on, go right on. You don't even have to wait. So that may also be the situation if, if depending on what time you arrive and the status of the ship and all that. That was my experience in June. Now, we didn't get there till almost the noon o'clock hour, but there was just go right on. Literally, you check in and walk right on. Yeah, it, it can vary. Sometimes I've been there. I remember when we were on Oasis of the Season, we waited like an hour to get on. But the last couple times we've been pretty lucky with getting on board in terms of we arrive early and they're like, you know, maybe wait a little bit, but we're pretty much let on and it's they'll call you eventually. Let's put it that way. And then you'll get a uh, depending if you're in a boarding group or whatever the case may be, they'll check your CPAS, uh, you know, just verify again, you're supposed to be on board and you're in your a passenger for that particular sailing. 
and then you usually walk up some sort of a, a walkway. There's usually some stairs or elevators involved. Basically, you have to go up to this ramp. It's almost like a jetway on an airplane or an airport, rather. And eventually, it'll bring you right on to usually like deck four or five of the ship. And that's it. You're on board. And it's it's uh, I guess the question, Michael, is how fast can you run? <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I when I'm always walking up that ramp, Matt, I'm always thinking about how I have to walk down it in seven days. I don't know why. I just always think about oh, that. No. But I, that, uh, that, I don't think about that quite at that point yet. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not that much of a masochist that I think about it quite then. But usually it's very exciting because you can start to see the ship really up close through the windows. And, you know, this is I mean, it's. Yeah, in all honesty, I think most people look back on their on the curb to ship time essentially, and look and say, you know, it's not. There's nothing here that's like, whoa, that's crazy. That's like going to be like a, a massive problem. It's just a lot of little things you have to be accounting for, and also time that it takes and crowds. There's a lot of things that are there are a lot of X factors, if you will. Yeah, I would agree. And if if I could give advice to you know a first time cruiser, is just. Have all your documents organized. Whatever method you choose, I think we're all going to use a different method, but just have everything organized and ready to pull out at the moment because everyone else is going to ask for something different. So just have it ready. Um, I, I use a folder system, but whatever works best for you, just just be organized with all your documents. What do you think, Michael? That's a great tip, by the way. What do you think is uh, – what's your top – what do you think is the easiest port to embark on in your experience? I would absolutely say uh, Fort Lauderdale going on the Oasis Ruler. They have that down textbook. Yeah, that's like a – I mean it's amazing as you think, wow, like 6,000 plus people. How can they – that's got to be terrible. But they've got it down like it's it's like a – it's down to a science essentially. Uh-huh. And they do a really good job with that one. I'm going to ask what you think the worst is, although I'm pretty sure I know what your answer is and it rhymes with uh, <laughs> Balveston. <laughs> well, I haven't, I haven't personally lived it. I've just heard the horror stories. So I'm going to let you take that one. Uh, we'll see. My, I don't have a really good embarkation horror story because we were delayed by fog. So that's a, that, that's just, you know, it's, it's out of everybody's hands. I mean, you can't do anything about it. And it was just, it was a terrible line and it was the last we ever got to a ship. But uh, the debarkation process, is, I think, in general, is worse than the embarkation process, though. It can just, be. Um, I was going to say, if you're on the Oasis or the Lure, I, I find it one of the easiest again, but they allow you to walk off at you know 6 a.m. if you do the express departure and you just avoid all of the madness because it can get bad fast if you uh, kind of wait around the after or early morning hours. That's right. So I think looking back on this, let's let's give our, our, our basic tips again just to recap the important things. You mentioned one which is really important. Have your documents available and ready to go. That's very important. Don't You don't want to show up there and be like, all right, honey, where's the uh, passports and where's that paper? Oh, it's, you know, and you start looking for it. Not only are, do you become that guy, but, you know, you're just going to get frustrated and start yelling at your kids and, you know, it's, it never ends well. It starts you off on the wrong foot. Um, I think the other thing that you also want to be aware of is time, what time you're planning to arrive. We, I mean, look, Michael and I are, are, are geeks and nerds and we like to, you know, we can't get enough cruising. So we want to get there. We get there super early. I do think there is value in getting there early regardless, because again, the, I think most people show up around, let's say 1130 to 130 is the peak. And if you're showing up at that time, it's nothing wrong per se. You just expect to wait longer in line, you know, through everything, through security, through the check-in process, waiting to board and, and so forth. So, even maybe even parking. Uh, so just keep all that kind of in mind when you're planning out your day and how you're planning on tackling this process. The good news is once you get through this, you'll you'll forget about it immediately and you'll be on board and, and all is well again. But uh, you know, it's just kind of something that's a 
I don't want to call it necessary evil, but it's just something that, that happens. And if you do it right, it can be a very fun process and, and a good start to your vacation. I agree. And then that moment you walk onto the promenade, it's just all smiles from there. That's just like my moment. I'm like, I'm here. I'm home. <laughs> there you go, Michael. All right, Michael, uh, real quick. Uh, what is your next Royal Caribbean cruise? I am actually going on a brand new ship for me, but it happens to be the oldest ship in the fleet. Uh, this fall, I'm going to board the Majesty of the Seas. Currently booked on just a four-day, but I'm looking to add a three-day either before or after. Why not? You know, yeah, two I mean, cruises, why not? It's <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, you know, three and four. It's just a seven-day cruise, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's well, uh, more power to you. I'm jealous of you as always, but I'm glad that you're able to continue to book that. And of course, uh, I think as, as we speak, in fact, I'm on uh, freedom of the seas. So I guess I can't complain. Yeah. I was going to mention that, but I was like, ah, I don't know. I'm like, well, you are on a cruise right now. So yeah. Uh, and of course, if you want to check out the live blog, it's live blogging right now. Go to royalcaribbeanblog.com and check all that out. We'll have the stuff in there, but Michael, thank you very much for, for helping us out here. Hey, I hope uh, hope you have a enjoying your cruise. And until next time, guys, thanks for having me. Let's jump into the email inbox with our emails this weekend. Of course, you can email me your questions, thoughts, pretty much anything you're thinking about Royal Caribbean. This is your opportunity. You can email me matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, M-A-T-T at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email this week is from Scott from Plainfield, Indiana. He writes, I've been a listener to WW Today for the last five years, and I'm also a listener to you on the Royal Caribbean blog podcast. I also just want to inform you that I really enjoy both shows. I don't know if we'll ever go on a Royal Caribbean cruise, <gasps> because my wife is Disney all the way, but I still enjoy the show, LOL. I'm a security guard in a big, dark distribution center. I spent 12 hours on Saturday and 12 hours on Sunday doing all the usual security guard stuff, and listening to the show really takes my mind on off of the little things and gets me focused on vacation and breaks up the day. Keep doing the show. Thanks for getting my wife into WWE, by the way. <laughs> Tell the rest of the WWE Day gang, keep up the awesome work. Have an awesome day. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the email. And again, hey, I just love hearing from people that are listening to the podcast and just saying hello. That's great, too, because, again, what I think about this podcast, I consider all of you that listen uh, friends of mine. Really, we, we, we talk about Royal Caribbean together. We have a common bond in that. And, you know, even if you just want to write in just like Scott did and say, hey, what's going on? I love that as well. I love hearing from everybody out there. So thank you, Scott. Let's go to our next email. And this email is from Kathy Z, who writes, I emailed you about two years ago, disappointed that you were touting how great Royal Caribbean was as opposed to Disney Cruise Line. At the time, I was planning my first cruise ever and was sure that Disney was the way to go. You told me that in the parks, Disney is head and shoulders above the competition, but not so much at sea. Well, I'm back from my seven-night Eastern Caribbean cruise on the Disney Fantasy and had to drop you a note. I have absolutely nothing to compare my experience with since this was the only cruise I've ever been on. However, I have to tell you that somewhere around the fifth day, I was telling my table mate that Disney hadn't wowed me. I kept telling my husband, maybe Matt Hotchberg is right. It was nice, but we didn't have the overwhelmingly amazing feeling like we have at the parks. Then two things happened. Because my husband has been sick on day three, seasick, not sure, something nasty though, we had to cancel two of the alcohol tastings that were scheduled. The woman at guest services saw how disappointed I was that we weren't things weren't going well. She called our room the next day to see how he was feeling. I thought she, uh, that was very nice, but then realized in addition to being nice, she probably had to call to make sure there wasn't a serious viral illness going on. Anyway, the next night when we came back to our stateroom after dinner, there was a bottle of champagne, six gigantic chocolate strawberries, and a handwritten note from the woman saying that she was glad to hear things were better and hopefully her gifts would make up for the tasting we had to cancel. I thought, wow, Disney did it again. They, had, they take a bad situation and turn it around. 
I was back around to thinking that the Disney difference does show, though I was, I'm not another mainstream cruise line would have done that. If I'm wrong on that, let me know. However, the next morning, although I'm sure he wasn't supposed to have told us, our waiter told us that someone made a complaint about something he did the night before, and when we got back to his room the that night, there was a plane ticket sending him back home. He was reluctant, but did tell us that Disney does that whenever there is any complaint. He said that they're extremely difficult to work for, and there's a very high turnaround because the employees aren't allowed to make a mistake or they're sent back home. I was so upset, I started crying, even though he was the one who had been fired. He was comforting me, telling me that it's okay and that he'd be fine. He was such a good waiter, and he's very humble and polite. I dropped Disney a note telling them how disappointed I was and that I think that their hard-working employees are being disposable and that I'd much rather vacation with a company that values their employees, even if it means a bit of a less guest experience. Anyway... We did put a deposit on a placeholder cruise while on board, but I have to say that being home, I'm not researching Royal Caribbean. Checking their website, I'm surprised to see that they seem to have a complimentary dining options. Previously, I thought that was pretty much limited, and you had to spend a fair amount of money if you wanted to eat while on your cruise. Their drink package was a pleasant surprise as well, since it includes juice, bottled water, and non-alcoholic drinks. Even adding that onto the cost of the cruise, it still comes out less than Disney. As I said, I don't have anything to compare the cruise to on the Fantasy, but... Looking at the price difference, I think I might choose Royal Caribbean next time, even if that means leaving the 10% discount and $200 onboard booking credit on the table. Maybe I'll find out that Royal Caribbean won't match Disney for service, quality, entertainment, whatever, but at least I know I'm open-minded enough to give them a try. I'm the first to admit when I'm wrong, so if Royal does match Disney, I'll be quick to drop you a note to let you know that you were right. I'm on a mission to download all of your podcasts and learn what I can about Royal Caribbean so I can make a good choice about which ship and itinerary to choose. Thanks for the podcast. Kathy, great email. Lots in there to discuss, and you know, I think you brought up some interesting points all around. One of the things that a lot of people do, and I was in the same boat as you, Kathy, no pun intended, where I started out, my first couple cruises were on the Disney Cruise Line, and then I started going off to Royal Caribbean. I think actually the first cruise we ever took, it wasn't my decision, it was just a family cruise decision, we're like, okay, we're going to go on there, sure, why not? And that's when I kind of saw the difference wasn't nearly as large as I had maybe thought it was going to be. Royal Caribbean does a great job. They're a great family cruise line. They offer quite a bit. I would also recommend you check out the episode we did. I think it was episode 50. I'll put a link in the show notes, if I remember, to the episode we did that compared Disney Cruise Line to Royal Caribbean. I think there's a lot of similarities, a lot more similarities than perhaps you might uh, otherwise think. And there's some areas where I think Royal Caribbean does better in than, than Disney does, and vice versa. I mean, no cruise line is perfect. There is no perfect choice unless you buy your own ship and hire your own crew and have everything you know custom to what you're looking for. But I do think the main, the, the huge X factor between both cruise lines is that price difference. And when you look at them and what they offer, there's just to me, it's just I, I don't see the value that disney cruise line offers you because it seems like they're very similar experiences you know you can maybe a little you know one does better than the other here one does better than the other there but they're fairly close and i think that you would definitely group them together as uh, certainly competitors and certainly in the same classification of cruise lines and when you look at why one is charging so much more in general than the other to me it just seems like i don't know why you wouldn't pick the less expensive one Royal Caribbean does a great job i mean I've been going on Royal Caribbean for many years now. Love it. Family loves it. I think, you know, I think that what Disney does is a good product. I think I, I did enjoy the cruises I went on with them. But, you know, I feel like I get a, a, a great experience in Royal Caribbean. And there's some other benefits. Like you mentioned some of the drink packages and, you know, I the entertainment. I think, you know, the food. I mean, there, there's a lot to look at. So I would recommend, of course, I'm biased in here, Kathy. But I would say you should definitely 
maybe try one out, try Royal Caribbean Cruise out and kind of compare. That's the only way you're really ever going to know is you have to do a comparison. And obviously when you're doing a comparison, make sure you're comparing apples, apples as close as you can. So if you were on the Fantasy, and I'm assuming the Fantasy does a seven-night cruise, I think you may have said that also. Uh, yeah, seven-night cruise. You know, pick a seven-night cruise on Royal Caribbean on a fairly new ship that's kind of comparable. I think a really good example would be an Oasis-class ship. That's certainly going to be on par because both the Oasis-class and the Fantasy-class and Disney are fairly new ships in the last, you know, say five years. Even the Freedom class, I would probably say, would be close. But, uh, you know, just make sure you're looking at that because Royal Caribbean Suite is so massive. I mean, we're talking 23 ships versus Disney's four. But, you know, it, it's kind of just, well, I want to make sure you're not going on <laughs> Majesty of the Season than comparing that to the, to the Disney Fantasy. Not quite one-to-one there. But good stuff. And, and I'm looking forward to hearing, Kathy, what you have to say about this. And, and if you do decide to jump and try it out, you know what your reaction is and what your review is and what your thoughts are and, and kind of where you're looking. I think Matt is right, but <laughs> I want to hear it from you saying that. So looking forward to hearing more from you, Kathy. Thank you very much. And our last email this week is coming from Mike Dunphy. He writes, hey, Matt, enjoy the podcast. Thanks for all the great information. I was wondering, how do you find out when formal night will be? We'll be selling on Freedom of the Season August, but I can't seem to find when formal night is. We want to be sure to avoid that particular evening when making specialty dining reservations. Thanks for the email, Mike. And the answer to your question is usually formal nights are on the second and sixth night of your cruise. So there you go. You can plan for that and and, uh, enjoy it. You know, one of the things that we do uh, when we plan our dining is we look at the formal nights. I believe usually traditionally the second formal night on the seven night cruises like on Freedom of the Seas and Oasis of the Seas has been the lobster night. It's colloquially known as lobster night. I think it's uh, officially known as like... I don't know, Fisherman's Night or something like that. Basically, it's a night where lobster is served. My wife and I don't actually enjoy lobster. I know, shocking. So we end... And this is in the main dining room I'm talking about. So we end up actually booking a especially restaurant reservation on that night, knowing that's the case because we're not necessarily in love with the idea of what's going to be in the main dining room. And if we're already going to be dressed up anyway for a formal night, why not kill two birds with one stone, right? So hopefully that'll work out there for you, Mike. And I appreciate the email. Thank you to everybody who's checking out this podcast and... Boy, you know, this is it's it's a fun time. I love doing these podcasts for you. It's, it's so, you know, I just love talking Royal Caribbean with all of you, and I'm, I'm hoping you are as well. So, again, if you want to email me, share me your thoughts about maybe something we talked about on, the, on this episode, maybe something you read on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. A lot has been going on recently over in the world of Royal Caribbean. Whatever's on your mind, or if you just want to say hello, that's cool too. My email is Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So, until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon. <laughs>